Psalm 118.26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You know, as, as I was thinking, the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of Mark covers a period of about three years. And then we have the last six chapters that cover just one week of the life of Christ. The whole reason for him being sent by the Father is covered in the last six chapters of the gospel. And that is him coming to Jerusalem and going to the cross and dying on yours and my behalf. Well, as we consider the day, the day is Sunday. And for us, we also know it as Palm Sunday. And a week from this very day, not only will Jesus have been crucified at that point, but he will have been buried and have been resurrected as well. The city of Jerusalem at this time, as Jesus is coming, as he's approached Jerusalem and he's coming into Jerusalem, is actually preparing for Passover. We know that the multitudes have come from all over. Tens of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem. There's excitement everywhere. One, for the Passover, but number two, word has gotten out about Jesus Christ. All the miracles that he has performed. He has even resurrected people from the grave. They were anticipating Jesus in a different way, though. They were excited about and anticipated a Jesus who would deliver them from Roman oppression. But Jesus did not come for that. He came to set the captives free, but in a better way. To deliver them from eternal condemnation, eternal captivity, and separation from God. Isn't that the way we sometimes still deal with Christ today? We're hoping and asking that he delivers us from all of our earthly problems. When he really never set out to deliver us from that. In fact, he told us we would encounter tribulation. But even as Christians, even as believers, sometimes we base our contentment or, or our satisfaction or our joy on our circumstances and, and whether we have what others have or we have the health that others have or, you know, the, the list can go on and on and on and on. But Jesus did, Jesus did not come for that. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus, with that, did testify of the truth over and over and over again. In fact, over 75 times, it was all his testimony of the truth to fulfill prophecy. 
Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Written in 520 B.C. Imagine that. That those who knew scripture could look back at Zechariah 9.9 and say, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Beautiful. Well, you know, you and I can look back at so much that the Lord has fulfilled in prophecy and be filled with hope. Know that God is trustworthy. That he is the only one that is 100% right, correct in everything. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. You know, Jesus for three years taught, corrected, performed miracle after miracle, demonstrated, proving that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He was indeed who he claimed to be. As a whole purpose for his miracles, the, the object of those miracles was not the person that he was healing or raising from the dead. The object and the, and the point of those miracles was always to show that the one who was performing those miracles had the power, he is sovereign, and he is God himself. So that others may believe and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just days before Palm Sunday, Jesus had gone to Mary and Martha's home and he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And we know that as we read in Luke and in Mark, more details in Luke, that this was actually one of the reasons why the multitudes were following him. According to John, chapter 12, verses 17 through 18, we have that additional detail. There were those who were surrounding Christ, and it had everything to do with the miracle that he performed in the home of Mary and Martha, raising Lazarus from the dead. These people were in awe. That's why it's not enough for any of us to simply be in awe of who God is. His miracles, what he can do, all of those things, we can be in awe of the creation of the universe. I can point to different things, animals, plants, geology, like all types of things, physics, physiology, and say, isn't God wonderful? And the answer is, yes, absolutely. Are you in awe? Are you impressed? I'm glad you're impressed. Glad you're in awe. That's not enough. Listen, these people saw this firsthand. And in John, it says very clearly, that's the reason why some of them were following him. Why are you following him? Why are you drawn to him? These are things we need to consider, we need to think about. Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem on this day and in this manner was not set up by the people. 
but by the Father. He had come to fulfill prophecy and declare that he was the anointed one, the promised Messiah. About a year before this, he was teaching a large crowd. This was the time when Jesus multiplied the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and he fed over 5,000 people. The crowd was so impressed that they wanted to make him their king at that time. Oh, if you're able to do this, then certainly you're able to have victory over the Roman Empire. John 6.15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And Jesus was in full control. No one took his life, but he gave his life for you and I. You know, the crowd even a year earlier had sensed that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel. They wanted an earthly king, a king who would sit upon the throne of David to deliver them from, again, Roman oppression. The greatest deliverance that we can ever experience is the deliverance from the condemnation of our sin. Anything beyond that, oh, it's just by the mercy of God and his goodness. You know, later as Jesus would tell Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. John eighteen thirty six. Jesus' kingdom is indeed not of this world, but his kingdom is for this world. You see, he is an offering of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Today, just as then, the world is looking for an earthly savior. The earth is actually at this very moment ripening for the Antichrist, the charismatic man who will come on scene and save the earth from all its troubles. From what? Well, we'll just think about some things that have been happening here as of late. COVID, monkeypox, failing national and international economy, conflict, war, rumors of war, problem with food, transportation, all of that. People at this point are beginning to be conditioned and prepared for a world savior to come on the scene. Just look at how we have the masses just kind of just going along, just doing whatever it is that, that will, will bring peace, and it's a false peace among all. But there is greater division now than ever before. We are seeing a, a polarization of people. And there will be a further defining of those who are of the world and those who are of Christ. Are we prepared for that? Because they will hate you. They will persecute you for the name of Christ. 
Stand on the side of truth because you have already been delivered. If you're in Christ, you have already been delivered. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is it's gain. It, it, it is merely the doorway to glory. Think about that. The doorway to glory. What can man do to me? What can, can man harm me? Absolutely not. Oh, but the world, it's, it's primed. But all is taking place just as God said it would. If you want to know prophecy, if you want to know how things will come about, how they will continue down this path of depravity, then just look at Scripture. It's all laid out for us. But we're also told, do not lose heart. Do not fear. Take courage. Stand. Be steadfast in the Lord. That's what we are to do. About 4,000 years before Jesus was born, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. You know that that is the first proclamation of the gospel. Right there. Proto-evangelium. Right there. Genesis 3.15. About 500 years before Jesus was born... Again, Zechariah prophesied, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Today, again, is considered the day Passion Week begins. The passion of Christ was to come and to give his life for you and I. The crescendo of his life oh, he's coming to here shortly in just a few days well having arrived at the Mount of Olives Jerusalem can now be seen just beyond the Kidron Valley and Jesus calls for his disciples to bring him a donkey that had never been ridden and Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this donkey salvation has come little did they know on that specific day that the Savior had arrived and entered Jerusalem just as it had been prophesied and just before he gives his life for our sin. As we read, both in Mark and in Luke, we know that Jesus prepared his disciples in the days leading to his crucifixion as we have been studying in the Gospel of Mark. But we also know that his disciples, as, as I had pointed out previously in the previous chapter, that they had mixed feelings. That they didn't fully get what he was telling them. He was warning them that this was going to take place. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them, what was going to happen to him. He was going, and he was going to be beaten. That he was going to be mocked and persecuted and crucified. But he would be raised from the dead three days later. They were amazed and afraid. And there's good reason for that. Jesus had just healed a blind beggar by just his word. 
Jesus had a discussion with a rich young ruler. It is easier saying, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 25. But he also told him what's impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. Speaking specifically of salvation. Jesus had just told his disciples after James and John asked if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand when he comes into his reign. Saying in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, you want to honor the Lord? Serve. Don't expect to be served, but serve. And then serve all the more. And keep serving others. Bless the Lord in that way. And then Jesus enjoys a meal with Zacchaeus. Small in stature. But a man. Think about what Zacchaeus was doing. He was small. The crowds were all around Jesus. What did, what did Zacchaeus do to get a glimpse of Jesus? Climb the tree. And what do we say in children's ministry? And we have this little song, right? How does he go? What's that? Zacchaeus, it always, I chuckle, but at the same time, it's, it's awesome because we will never forget. He was a wee little man, right, who climbed the tree. <laughs> he climbed the tree. Who would climb the tree? Not a dignified man, right? Someone who is completely humble, like, I, I don't care what I look like. I'm just going to climb this tree because I, I want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Know the time of your visitation. Know the time of your visitation. Know that the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. Are, are you willing to, like Zacchaeus, climb, climb, climb the tree? I just want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. I want to see him for who he is. In fact, Jesus turned to Zacchaeus. And he uh, told him, today I, I, will, I will sup with you. I will eat with you. And he went. It was for a purpose, right? It, was, it wasn't just to hang out with sinners. It was, it was going with the purpose to know that, for them to know that salvation has come. Salvation has come. Luke 19, 9 and 10 says, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, Jesus said many other things that would naturally cause fear and amazement in the hearts of those who were following him. Experiencing all these events, the words that he was speaking, the things that he was teaching and correcting. But there was one more thing that he said that would be especially amazing and fearful. In Luke 18, 31 through 34, it says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. 
And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Um, you know, I, I understand. I, I, I remember sitting and listening and, and sometimes just perhaps not being all there and just given to whatever it was that the Lord had for me in the moment. But prior to coming to Christ, I, I do remember hearing things here and there, but, but just not giving the Lord my full attention, not really understanding the time of my visitation. How important that moment was. That the Lord desires that none should perish, but that everyone would reach repentance. That perhaps there was something that the Lord wanted to do in that very moment. Here were his disciples. They had been amazed and they were fearful. They were in awe of Jesus. And yet, when he told them this, it says they understood none of these things. It's like, hello, McFly, right? We look back and we think that. We think, how is it that you, you couldn't understand these things? I'm sure the Lord is saying that of you and I many times. Oh, I wish that you would, would realize. Oh, if only you would respond to what you already know. All of these things would come back to these people who were following him once these things actually took place. After he was glorified and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Regarding salvation, Jesus said to his disciples after having the discussion with the rich young ruler, which I had referred to earlier. Mark 10, 27 says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus had been preparing his disciples for what was to come. But again, they were still without understanding. And so Jesus sent two into Jerusalem to bring back a donkey to ride on. And they found the donkey just as Jesus had said they would. The disciples spread palm branches and their cloaks on the road before Jesus. It was an entrance fit for a king. They believed Jesus was to deliver the Jews from Roman rule and be their king on earth. Well, rejoicing and praise broke out amongst the disciples. In verse 9, it says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They, they shouted. It's described as them shouting with a loud voice for all to hear. Unashamed, withholding nothing. This seems to be kind of a theme <laughs> that's, that's been happening here at Refuge, that, that there should be a, a little bit more expression of, you know, just our joy and our gratitude toward God and who He is in our lives. Singing out loud, praising Him with loud voices, unashamed, unhindered. 
without any concern for who would be offended or how how radical you would sound. Whether it be praise here on a Sunday morning or living our lives out loud for Christ out in the world. What did they rejoice and praise God for? Well, for all the mighty works that they had seen. The question for us is, what have we seen? What do we know? You know, John would testify of this later on in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Oh, John got it. He understood completely and now he was testifying of God's grace the word became flesh and dwelt among us oh and we have seen his glory glory is the only begotten of the father oh we we desire that you too would come to trust in and believe in salvation known in Jesus Christ alone. That you too would have fellowship with us. Oh, and our joy would be complete. There are many people praying for those who are not saved, who have not surrendered their lives to Christ, that their joy would be complete. Oh, they have testified that Jesus is real. He's died for my sins. In fact, I have known salvation in Christ alone. Oh, they desire that their joy may be complete. The Apostle John was one of those who were with Jesus at this time and was with Jesus at his crucifixion. He had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle. And he knew who Jesus was. And he was one of the people who were rejoicing and praising God for all the mighty works they had seen. Listen, our rejoicing and our praise of Jesus should never be conditional. It should be absolutely unconditional. We are to acknowledge the things that God does for us and has done for us beginning with salvation. Or beginning at salvation. Even considering, as, as I think back on my life, I thank the Lord for sparing me. Even through all of my stupidity. Uh, if, you, if you knew my story, you would know clearly the things that I'm thinking right now. Oh, my life should have been ended long before that day when I surrendered my life to Christ. should have been over. And yet, the Lord in his mercy brought me through that and to the point to the day when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
You know, C.H. Spurgeon said, said this, quote, And yet I suppose those disciples had their trials as we have ours. There might have been a sick wife at home or a child withering with disease, close quote. Listen, we, we experience some of the same things, very similar. And yet we can all, with great confidence, rejoice in the Lord. We can praise him. We can also expect some opposition. If, if you are concerned about or perhaps think about, oh, if I surrender my life to Christ, there are those who I know they're going to think of me as a religious nut, um, someone who is like lost my mind and all of these things. Well, listen, expect opposition. Life is full of opposition anyway. But precious are those, blessed are those who are opposed, who are really taken advantage of or called names. So many different things in the name of the Lord. Expect opposition. In Luke 19.39, that, that which we read, and some of the Pharisees, this is as he was coming into Jerusalem, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, there, there are many people today who are telling others, hey, listen, suppress. Suppress the praise of God's people. Um, mute them. Cancel them. Deny them. Ignore them. Are we to do that? Absolutely not. Uh, there's nothing like rejoicing and praising and worshiping God. Nothing, nothing gets the attention of the enemy more than a life that is completely just joyful and, and has this gratitude toward God and has faith in him and trusts him and is walking with the Lord. That gets the attention of the enemies of God. John 12, 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Oh, the enemy was looking at them and saying, Oh, man, we're... We're, we're losing here. Let's, let's try something else. Listen, God's people are in the right place when praising Jesus because their hearts and minds are set on him. They go to him. They trust in him. They are content in, in him. They find comfort in him. They are forgiven in Christ. And no one can change that. No one can take that away. You want to get out of a, a funk? I don't know what's wrong. I'm just down. I, I find contentment in nothing. You know, Solomon was in that place. He said everything is vanity. And he had everything. He had absolutely everything. You and I cannot imagine what he had. And he was a man who understood, who realized that in the end, the only thing that matters is to fear God and obey his commandments. To have a relationship with God. Hmm. 
Even if the people would remain silent, creation itself would shout his praises. Psalm 148. It says, Praise the Lord from the earth. In verse 7, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. And in Psalm 1940, it says, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Hosanna in the highest. That would have been awesome, though. Fine, you want them to be quiet? They'll be silent, but check this out. Right? And then all All creation begins to proclaim. This was the day that Daniel had prophesied about that Messiah would enter Jerusalem. Uh, This is interesting and something to take note of. Uh, 483 years from the day of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem, it was prophesied. And it was exactly 483 years since that day in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. (laughs) Oh, we serve a great God. We we can trust in him. His word is 100% accurate. His promises are yes and amen. We can stand on his word and we will be unmoved. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And although they did rejoice on this day, they didn't fully understand how it was that Jesus desired to reign in the people's lives. But the question again for you and I this morning is, do we? Hosanna means save, I pray, save now, salvation has come. Oh, it's a, it's a word of adoration, of acclamation. But more importantly, it is proclaiming that salvation has come. They expressed it in this way, laying palm branches and their clothing before Jesus. But Jesus desires that you and I lay down our lives before him, that we may truly know eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, and one day be in his very presence. Palm Sunday is the king's welcome into Jerusalem. But it's not the city or the state or the nation that Jesus seeks to conquer for people today but rather that all would know that he has conquered sin by his shed blood. And by his grace, through faith in him, he desires that all would know salvation, repenting of our sins and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. The King of Kings desires, above all, to reign in your life. 
And again, the question is, has he gained entrance into that very place? Today, let us rejoice for the Savior has come and he saves and he alone is our hope. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let us rejoice. As it says in Mark, shouting, do you know the time of your visitation? I told you from the very beginning, this was an ordained moment for each and every one of us. Has he ministered to you? Do you understand if you don't know salvation, perhaps in this very moment, do you know that you surrender your life to Christ, asking him for forgiveness and, and, and believing that Jesus is the son of God who paid for our sins in full, and by believing that he is the son of God who died for our sins, was raised on the third day, and surrendering our lives to him, that we will know salvation. Oh, I pray that and hope that in this moment, as we close in prayer, that you would completely confess all of that to the Lord and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. For those who need to repent from a state of being backslidden, I pray that you would do that at this very moment. It's not an emotional stirring. It's a spiritual stirring. It's a conviction that has to be personal, and it will become evident tomorrow and the day after that, even tonight and the rest of the day. And for the church, that we may be built up encouraged, that we may be further prepared and equipped for serving the Lord, as Philippians tells us. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are certainly triumphant. Lord, there is nothing and no one over you. Thank you for fulfilling your word and the promise of sending the Savior to this world to die in our place. As you proclaimed back in Genesis 3.15. Heavenly Father, whether it be a surrendered heart, a recommitted heart, or Lord, a heart that is further established in the truth of your word, I pray, Father, that again you would have your way with us. That we would be a, a church that loves you and your word and the fellowship of the saints. We bless you, Lord.